0: Earlier this year, we talked to Al Jazeera's Divya Gopalan about the democracy protests that have rocked Hong Kong for years.
1: The protesters, they're calling for independence of Hong Kong.
0: Back then, while Hong Kongers were out in the streets during the summer, we got the sense that this was a defining year, that 2020 was when Hong Kong would get democracy or lose everything. And since June, we've watched the pro-democracy movement suffer blow after blow. Police made the arrests on Monday morning, detaining Jimmy Lai, the founder of the pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily, at his home in Kowloon. He's been arrested under the national security law imposed by China last
1: month. Protests in Hong Kong have been largely curtailed by this new national security law, but the voice of dissent has not been silenced entirely. All of Hong Kong's pro-democracy lawmakers have resigned in solidarity with four of their colleagues who were accused of promoting independence and expelled from the Legislative Council. Hong Kong was very different from the rest of China. People could say what they wanted, do what they wanted, and now it's so clear that Hong Kong is just another Chinese city. So how did Hong
0: Kong get to this point? To answer that question, we're updating an episode we ran in June, right before the new national security law went into effect. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The Hong Kong anti-government protests in the summer of 2019 were massive. Activists shut down the airport— one of the busiest in the world. Police responded with tear gas, with rubber bullets. It's kind of similar to what we saw happen in the United States this summer with the protests against police brutality. Some people say it's ironic, since the U.S. came out so strongly against China when Hong Kongers were protesting last year. So I asked Divya about that. There are some online who have noted the seeming hypocrisy in the U.S.'s stance, especially given these mass protests against police brutality and racism in the country. There have been arms used against protesters, rubber bullets, tear gas, things that we saw in Hong Kong as well. What do you make of those parallels?
1: That's right, Malika. That's exactly what the U.S. had condemned when the protests were Uh, heating up in Hong Kong last year, you know, crushing the people's voice, trying to oppress the young people of Hong Kong. And it seems that they're doing exactly the same thing. Beijing and the Chinese social media, cyberspace is just reveling in it. You're just seeing all kinds of comments saying, we never sent the Chinese army after months of protests in Hong Kong, but the U.S. talked about it within days of protests. So yes, you know, the irony has, hasn't been lost on anyone, and nobody's missed the fact that, you know, the tables can very easily be turned.
0: The protests in the U.S. jolted many Americans out of their pandemic lockdowns. In Hong Kong, we saw the opposite. The protest movement that had begun in June 2019 was forced to a halt when the coronavirus struck.
1: And the main reason things became quieter was because of the coronavirus outbreak. Even the protesters knew that they did not want to go out in the streets. They did not want to uh, put the city at risk of infections. And in fact, they took it upon themselves to use the methods they used for protests to help combat the virus. All these tracking apps that they used to use before to help protesters figure out where the police were and where the next protest will be, they used it to help track where the outbreaks were. So the public could use it and figure out which was a high risk zone, which wasn't. They also went out on the streets and started handing out masks. But while all that was happening, the government instead made these moves to crack down further on democracy. So while the public was distracted and the protesters were focused on something else, they arrested about 15 of Hong Kong's biggest pro-democracy figures and uh, pro-democracy politicians and brought them on charges of taking part in an unauthorized assembly.
0: Those unauthorized assemblies were peaceful marches that happened last year in August and October. Millions of people attended them. The activists arrested in April, some of the most well-known protesters in Hong Kong, are accused of organizing them. Around the same time, Two monitoring agencies, which are based in Hong Kong but report back to Beijing's Communist Party, declared that they now get a say in city affairs. This is a first. Activists say it violates the one country, two systems policy that Beijing agreed to in 1997.
1: The idea of one country, two systems is that Hong Kong is part of China, but Hong Kong has its own government and has its own autonomy and can run itself.
0: Hong Kongers cling to this policy because it protects them from some of the more authoritarian measures we see on the mainland. Still, Beijing's agencies keep pressing ahead. They've issued a bunch of statements lobbying against pro-democracy politicians in Hong Kong.
1: And so they started making all these moves, and people realized that unless we have a system where we're protected, we're at the mercy of not only Hong Kong's government, but also of Beijing.
0: So you mentioned these arrests. Martin Lee was also arrested. He is the 82-year-old father of Hong Kong democracy, as he's called. You spoke with him recently. What is his take on all of this?
1: He agrees with the protesters. He says that China is definitely going back on its agreement with Hong Kong and keeping Hong Kong autonomous. He also agrees that Hong Kong's government has completely failed Hong Kong's people time and time again. I felt bad when I saw these young people
0: fighting for democracy, being arrested and brought to the courts. Whereas I, who had been fighting
1: for democracy all these years, were left alone. So when they arrested me and prosecuted me, I felt relieved. At least my fate is now tied to the fate of the kids. So when I spoke to him and I said, well, look, you know, you're 82 years old, you could spend the rest of your life in jail. And he said, if that happens, I will do so proudly because we can't just let these young people take up the mantle, we've got to help them, and I want to do whatever I can to help them. We mustn't give up. My philosophy is that so long as I'm still there fighting, I haven't lost. So he's very much a pro-democracy advocate. And what's also amazing about him is he's also incredibly sharp, even at his age. And then after I interviewed him, he wanted to show me some stretches that he normally does. Because <laughs> I told him that my back was hurting a little bit. So I'm um, quite an incredible man.
0: Divya, last year when these protests were happening, it felt like the whole world was watching. This year, many of us are admittedly distracted by the global pandemic. What role has that played?
1: So what's interesting is that the Hong Kong government was banking on the rest of the world, being distracted, hoping that they wouldn't notice the stealth moves, I would say, they were making on Hong Kong to try and crush the democracy movement further. Divya
0: says Hong Kong police have used coronavirus health guidelines to break up protests. Well into June, it was still illegal for Hong Kongers to hang out publicly in groups of eight or more.
1: The police tactic is saying, We're finding you and we're arresting you because there are more than eight of you together. Therefore, we can break you up.
0: Then there was the Tiananmen Vigil on June 4th. Every year, thousands of people in Hong Kong commemorate the Tiananmen Square Massacre that happened in Beijing in 1989. Chinese soldiers shot at protesters who were fighting for democracy. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people were killed. It's hard to say exactly, because no one on the mainland is allowed to talk about it. The fact that Hong Kong holds this annual vigil shows what a unique place it is within China. But this year, 2020, Hong Kong's government, for the first time ever, refused to grant permits for that vigil. They said it was unsafe because of the coronavirus. You may be thinking, well, maybe that's true. It's possible that Chief Executive Carrie Lam really was just being extra cautious. But it's been weeks since Hong Kong reported a locally transmitted case of the virus. Restaurants started reopening in April. Students went back to school in May. Many activists say it was just an excuse to clamp down.
1: If Kerry Lam thinks that uh, this coronavirus uh, scare could just uh, shoo away Hong Kong protesters, uh, she would be quite wrong.
0: People defied coronavirus restrictions this year because they fear the Communist Party wants to end the memorial for good. There was probably uh, at least 10,000 people there, which is small
1: by the standards of previous gatherings, but sizable enough given that this one was an illegal one this vigil was part of Hong Kong's ability to speak up. It was a symbol of Hong Kong's freedom of speech and expression. So even people who didn't necessarily support the protesters, people who perhaps are a little bit more pro-China, were still quite surprised and angry about it. Police just cordoned the exact area in the park where this vigil is normally held and then kept the rest of the park open. So that was the other thing that made people wonder, is this really about social distancing? Because schools were open, people were still on public transportation, people could still meet up. It almost seemed counterproductive.
0: Meanwhile, Hong Kong and Beijing have also made legal moves during this time that activists say chip away at Hong Kong's democracy. First, there was the National Anthem Law passed by Beijing, and then also Hong Kong's Legislative Council.
1: So Hong Kong shares the same national anthem as mainland China, and it's called the March of the Volunteers, ironically, because (laughs) it isn't voluntary anymore. What happened last year is, particularly when the protest movement started, whenever the March of the Volunteers would come on during national events, protesters and perhaps people who were angry at China or wary of China would boo it. And so the Hong Kong government and of course Beijing were very offended by it. And so they decided to put in this law that would uh, criminalize anyone who abuses or disrespects the law. Exactly what that means, it's unclear. But to give you an example of how widespread it became, last year during the Olympic football qualifying matches, when you'd have Two teams come and play. For instance, South Korea would come and their national anthem would be played. You'd have a lot of the Hong Kong public standing up and cheering for the South Korean national anthem. And then as soon as the March of the Volunteers came on, they'd all sit down and boo or turn their backs. And so even the football players weren't sure what was going on, because usually when they play an away game, (laughs) they don't get this kind of support. Oh, wow.
0: So what about the national security bill?
1: So that, exactly, what about the national security bill? China is moving closer to passing its controversial national security law for Hong Kong. The new law would prohibit acts of secession, subversion,
0: terrorism, and foreign interference in Hong Kong.
1: The timing of this new law comes ahead of elections, which are due in September. Critics say it creates the conditions for China's leaders to disqualify candidates that they consider disloyal or a threat to national security? It sideswiped everyone. Everyone was just shocked at how quickly this is all coming into place. The national security bill is something that should have been enacted in Hong Kong anyway. It is within the Hong Kong's constitution. But according to Hong Kong's constitution, it should be enacted by Hong Kong's government to fit Hong Kong's situation. And every time it's been brought up, within Hong Kong's local government. There was huge opposition to it. In April, suddenly China's parliament decided that if Hong Kong wasn't going to do it, they were going to do it for Hong Kong. And they've just recently announced, ultimately they would have security offices here in Hong Kong monitoring the situation and perhaps even enforcing it. And for the most severe cases, They can just tell you, you violated the national security law. We're taking you over to mainland China to face the courts there. And that is what's so scary for the people of Hong Kong.
0: Also because the reason that people took to the streets last year was for this reason. They didn't want an extradition bill that would allow people in Hong Kong to be sent to mainland China to face charges for something that happened outside of mainland China
1: exactly exactly but the thing about that extradition bill is it was very much about criminal acts so if you murder someone or there's fraud now this conversation that we're having right now could make me subject to the national security law in the future an interview like this could immediately i could be called up for it and investigated and possibly hauled up in courts here and if i'm very unlucky be hauled up in courts in china across the border
0: what does that mean for your reporting and for your life? What are you, How are you feeling?
1: You know, Malika, I come from a family of journalists. My father was a foreign correspondent. My sister also is a financial reporter. Her husband also works for one of the papers here. Like, we're, we're all journalists, and so we're very, very passionate about freedom of press. And, um... Yeah, well, what does it mean for us? I don't know. But the thing about this for me and my sister and a lot of journalists in Hong Kong is that this is our home and we want to be here till the bitter end. I'm lucky in a way because I have an escape. I have a British passport, mainly because I was here during the handover when it was a British colony. And then by virtue of that, I got a bona fide British passport. But most people in Hong Kong don't have it. And a lot of the local journalists in particular They're hugely at risk. And in the end, it's Hong Kong that's likely to lose out. There's a sense that, and even the protesters know this, that no matter how much they go in the streets, no matter how much they fight, it really is, as a journalist once described it, it's basically David and Goliath, but David without the slingshot.
0: So that was June. Divya is still in Hong Kong. And that national security law that she had such dire predictions for went into effect about a week after we ran that episode. And she says it's had the intended effect.
1: It is so hard to believe that just over a year ago, almost every night, I'd be out on the streets with my gas mask and vest with press written on it, chasing after the protesters and riot police and covering the almost daily confrontations between the young protesters. Tear gas was always in the air, even after the confrontations were over. A constant reminder that Hong Kong was a city of protests. Well, it no longer is. One of the main reasons would be, of course, that national security law that came into place and the fact that there is absolutely no tolerance for any protest any, anymore, not any kind of dissent. The law gives Beijing unprecedented control over Hong Kong's
0: security, media and surveillance. And it's Beijing that controls how the law is interpreted.
1: The night before the national security law came into effect, I got a number of calls and messages asking me to remove some sources, analysts, academics from my contact list and even the correspondence I had with them. That was a real wake-up call. I thought the national security law would be mostly symbolic, a way for Beijing to tighten its grip on Hong Kong and stop the protests. Yet for people to be able to continue their way of life and be able to still voice dissent so long as they were not reaching some very uh, concrete boundaries. Boy, was I wrong. The national security law is incredibly vague, uh, wide-ranging, and it's very hard to tell when that line will be crossed, in fact. You can't even hold up signs, particularly those pertaining to Hong Kong's independence, and even critical of the Chinese or communist government, you could immediately be arrested now. That was unthinkable just about a year ago that Hong Kong could be in such a state. There are those few activists that are still quite vocal and that are being hauled in and out of the courts of Hong Kong and being arrested consistently. But for the most part, the young protesters that were out in the streets have largely been silenced for fear of their future or what could happen to them.
0: As Divya told us, the law is really vague. That means it's hard to even imagine all the ways it could be applied. And China's expanded its reach in Hong Kong in other ways, too. Earlier this month, the Hong Kong government, along with Beijing, said it had the right to unseat any legislator without going through due process in the courts. It disqualified four opposition members of the Legislative Council, all members of Hong Kong's pro-democracy party, citing, quote, national security. The other members of their party also quit and protest.
1: Having no Democrats in Hong Kong's government has basically shut down the last avenue of dissent. Now, when you speak to Democrats and activists, they say the fight is far from over, but realistically, it's hard to see how they can push or progress the fight for democracy when any kind of opposition now is immediately shut down. And there are no, there's no outlet to even criticize the government. And criticizing Beijing, if we go that far, could even put you behind bars. 2020
0: has been a turning point for Hong Kong, just as so many predicted it would and it's turned in the opposite direction of what pro-democracy demonstrators had hoped
1: for. It's really hard to see where the fight for, de- for, for democracy can go from here. So when I think about it, I am actually in despair and, and there's a sense of hopelessness. But the one thing I have to say as a Hongkonger is that Hong Kong's most valuable asset is its people and the spirit of its people. Hong Kong has overcome so much over the decades when it was a British colony and now under Chinese rule. I do believe that Hong Kong will prevail. And that's The Take.
0: This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilbe with Alexander Locke, Dina Kispe, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliay, Oniwo Hacha, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is The Take's engagement producer. Ceci Samuel is the executive producer. And Grayland Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.